my god, that was fucking amazing. Great job, Ivy. So that's Ivy Corner.
so much for listening in we are in april it's friday april 13th 2018 thank you so much for listening we are broadcasting live from mutiny radio here in the mission district in san francisco oh it's been a depressing week and i pretty much open up the show with that statement most weeks uh trigger warning we'll be talking about current events and what's happening here in the u.s as well as abroad so putting that warning out there that we'll be talking about issues. I will probably end up getting exasperated at some point. I usually don't yell. I kind of sigh. I might yell, but I'll, I do my best to do that away from the microphone as not to hurt anyone's ears. And we'll be going over current events and the recent news here in the U S and we'll be talking about some local things as well and playing some music in between stories to cleanse the palate as it were. Thank you so much for listening in. And I also want to start off the show by saying if folks would like to call in, we are definitely taking calls. So please do call in. We're at 415-550-0511. And in particular, we're looking to talk with folks about the FOSTA-SESTA bill. We talked about that on the show last week, possibly the week before as well. It's a really terrible bill. And wanting to put the word out for folks who are not aware of how damaging it is. And people have already died because of this bill. It's It's that bad. And this is a bill that was designed by people in positions of power who don't know what they're doing, which seems to be the majority of folks most of the time. And it was under the guise of being this anti-sex trafficking bill. However, what it's doing is hurting folks who do sex work. And they recently shut down Backpage, which is a website and a place where folks can find clients and post listings. And it's a way for folks to connect with people in a way that's a lot safer than not having that. And we also remember a couple weeks ago, they shut down their Craigslist personal section as well. And that's another place where folks were able to find each other. And uh, through sex work, through finding relationships, I know of at least two couples who are now married and they met on Craigslist. I know folks who have found uh, really good experiences through the personal section on Craigslist. And now that's gone, at least in the United States. It's open in Canada and Mexico and other countries. That are, are, as far as I can tell, at least in that regard, not being as fascistic. However, it is shut down the Craigslist personalist ads in the United States. And for a lot of us queer folks, queer and trans folks, that's extremely damaging because that's a way, the way that a lot of us have found each other. So that's really bad news. <sighs> so I wanted to put that out there. And again, um, it's interesting. If if folks don't know sex workers or have sex workers in their circles or are not sex workers, they might not be aware of the, the damage that this bill is causing. However, it's really causing a lot of problems. And 
That means that folks, in order to feed themselves, feed their, feed their families, may now have to go out and work on the streets, which is, in a lot of cases, a lot more dangerous than what was happening before. So this is this bill that is supposedly designed to help people is actually hurting people. And the folks in positions of power don't have any fucking idea what they're doing. Or maybe they do. And there's a lot of folks who are saying that this is all part of the fascistic scheme, which I subscribe to. I don't subscribe to their scheme. I subscribe to the theory that this is part of their their scheme to eventually do away with anything related to sexuality and and freedom, as much freedom as we do have in this country in regards to that. Not that queer and trans folks aren't still being targeted in many ways. And obviously we can tell that the idea of fighting for marriage, uh, <laughs> that's not going to save people, hasn't saved people if folks are still being hurt. All right. So there goes that. I really wanted to open the phone lines for folks who want to speak more about this. I've been reading as much as I can. There's a lot of articles and I hope to get to some of those today to give more examples of why this bill is problematic. And I really appreciate having folks who can speak on that as well and be a little bit more articulate than I. And uh, yeah, so, oh, so also there's some upcoming events that folks can do. I mentioned last week, uh, there is a congressperson that you can call and there's I one thing I try to do with the show is provide alternatives and ways for folks to participate and uh, either speak out or show up or let their opinions be heard. And so really wanting to do that here. And so on Monday, there is an event that folks can go to. And this is a support sex workers safety. And it's a protest, a press conference. And it's a lobby to oppose SB 1204, and that's Monday, April 16th, from 11.30 a.m. 11.30 a.m. is the protest, and at 12.15 p.m. is the press conference, followed by lobbying senators on the Public Safety Committee. And this will be happening on the western steps of the State Capitol Building in Sacramento. And the... Uh, the flyer, which I will now share on the Facebook page so folks can also read this and share this. And you can find our Facebook page by going, I know Facebook's still around and I always make disparaging comments, but that's what we have at the moment to share our information at uh, facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. I've just shared it now so you can check it out. Please share it among your next work networks. Show up if you're able. And it says, let's make our voices heard to kill this dangerous bill, which would criminalize, and this is similar to the FOSTA-SESTA bill, uh, let's make our voices heard to kill this dangerous bill, which would criminalize sex workers associating with each other or with supporters for safety, information, and support. In addition, we will address the recently passed federal FOSTA-SESTA bill, which is a violation of our First Amendment rights, criminalizes our websites, bans us from social medias, and restricts life-saving resources from the sex worker community. For more info, you can contact U.S. Prostitutes Collective at 415-640-4250 or SWOP, which is S-W-O-P in Sacramento, which is 916-390-7107, or Erotic Service Providers Union USA, cool, at 415-265-3302. And again, this information has been shared on our Facebook website page thing at facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. So do get the word out. (sighs) And I think it's so exhausting seeing how many marginalized groups are being targeted. And it feels like difficult to keep up. 
And how do we defend each other and keep each other safe when there's constantly something else down the line? And even before 2016, marginalized groups were being targeted by the state. And now we're seeing an, an increase in it, and it's more overt, and it's really scary, and it's really dangerous. And if we don't at least talk about it and acknowledge that it's happening, that's, I think, part of the problem. So at least we can do is get the information out there and see what we can do to support one another and speak up for one another and show up for one another. <sighs> so just wanted to start off with that. Uh, there, there goes... <laughs> There goes that long sigh that I had anticipated would happen at some point during this show. Here it is. I'll start off next with uh, a more positive story, at least people taking action. We all know that folks in Flint, Michigan have not had clean drinking water for years. And somehow... There is money in this country, yet it doesn't go to actually helping people. It goes to militarization. It goes to creating bombs. It goes to prisons. A lot of things that don't help people that actually harm people. So a lot of folks in Flint have been taking action for a while now. And recently, on Wednesday, April 11th, folks took to the streets. And uh, it's NBC News, so I get that it's mainstream news and gross. However, it's something positive that happened so we're going to report on it. And it's Flint water protesters block all lanes of WBI-69 in Flint during rush hour. And this is written by Jason Lorenz, and they have photos. And the article says, uh, traffic on westbound I-69 in Flint was disrupted by a group of protesters blocking traffic. The incident happened just before 7 p.m. Wednesday between the I-475 interchange and Saginaw Street exit. A group identifying themselves as... Okay... I'm not going to read what they're... Uh, uh, okay. This is <laughs> this is me deciding what, whether, what not to read. And so I'm glad the folks were, were taking action. And it says no injuries were reported. Police were not present. And it says the entire event lasted less than 15 minutes. Uh, as per usual, there were some folks in traffic who didn't quite understand why this was a didn't understand that not having clean drinking water is an issue and they were they were frustrated okay and one person who's in the video says let's all stand together let nobody get in between us so it's kind of a, a very brief news story and we get the idea good for folks for taking action and i'd imagine if folks were to take action for everything the streets would there be people in the streets every day, every minute of every day, because there's so many things happening that are wrong. That people have the power to change, and the folks who have the the people in positions of power choose not to do anything to help. So, also, on the flip side, there's auditions coming up for queer actors in the Bay Area. So I'll read that right now. This happening this weekend. Queer Fuckery returns to Middlestiff Studio with a brand new collection of short plays featuring queerdos of all ethnicities and ages. This show will be featured in the upcoming National Queer Arts Festival in June, and they have um, many characters here that folks can audition for. The auditions will be held Saturday and Sunday, April 14th and 15th from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. in downtown San Francisco. They ask that folks prepare uh, at least one two-minute monologue and be ready to read sides. If you can't make the additions but want to get involved, 
You can contact them with a web-based audition. Compensation is based on ticket sales. And they say they make sure to split all profit equally amongst talent. Queer Fuckery produces works that highlight the lives of queer folks of color and our allies. Bindle Stiff Studio cultivates artists who reflect and celebrate the diverse values, traditions, and histories of Filipino and Filipino-American cultures through bold artistic expression and community engagement. This production is co-presented by Bindle Stiff Studio and the Queer Cultural Center. For more information, email us at queerasfckfest at gmail.com. And I'm going to share this right now on the Facebook webpage as well. So folks can check it out if you are an actor and or no actors and would like to audition, you can see the roles that are being cast. So please go ahead and check that out. <sighs> All right, moving along. Another positive story. And the positive stories on this show are pretty much when something terrible happens and people take action that has been... Or, or, or we prevent something bad or worse from happening. That seems to be the theme. This is from the Examiner that came out today. Or, no, this came out a few days ago. But uh, Mission District School plans to open gym to homeless students, families overnight. This came out on the 11th and was written by Laura Waxman. A Mission District school hoping to address the severe housing crisis affecting dozens of its students is floating plans to convert its gymnasium into an overnight family shelter. There is now a level of desperation among our student body that is unprecedented, said Claudia Delarios Moran, vice principal uh, at Buena Vista Horace Mann K-8 school at 3351 23rd Street. While the school offers academic interventions and emotional support services to students who are struggling, she said that the data does not show improvements among the students whose challenges are compounded by homelessness. They are not getting better, said Moran. Our job as a school is to remove all the barriers to learning for a child. The mounting housing and affordability crisis has left Horace Mann teachers and administrators searching for new ways to provide support to an estimated 64 homeless and marginally housed students enrolled there. On Tuesday, the school's leaders announced that they were working with Supervisor Hillary Ronan to provide shelter to 20 Horace Mann students and their immediate families after school hours. The preliminary plans for the Stay Over program include transforming one of the school's two gyms into a shelter from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. by October. Principal Richard Zappian emphasized that the temporary shelter service will only be extended to students who are currently enrolled at Horace Mann as well as their families. The plan is to enlist a third-party contractor through the city's Department of Home homelessness and supportive housing, such as a nonprofit experienced in working with homeless families to manage the facility and provide case management and access to city resources with the goal of moving the families into more stable and safe housing. We have families that come to us and say, I have until the end of the month, or I have an unsafe living situation, said Zappian. What we want to be able to do is to get that family into a better situation. The San Francisco Unified School District has reported that more than 2,000 of its students, approximately one student per classroom, lives doubled up with friends or family, in cars, or in other unstable situations, including on the streets. Ronan estimates that constructing and operating a shelter at Horace Mann will cost between $700,000 and $900,000 annually. She's hoping to secure the funds before the city's budget is finalized in June, but is also looking for private investment. Teachers and administrators are spending so much of their time dealing with emergency housing needs of their students instead of their core function of teaching, said Ronan. This is a way we can keep the burden off the school. According to Zappian, the plan has been met with support by all of the school's more than 40 teachers, but several parents 
who were clued in to the plan at a parent advisory meeting on Monday, remained on the fence. It was very clear that there are concerns among families that were there, said Efrain Barrera, school site council president at Horace Mann. Barrera said he strongly supports the proposal, which he called revolutionary. Zapian acknowledged that upgrades are needed at the aging facility, including improvements to the school's lighting system. He said parents expressed concerns about security and how the shelter would impact day-to-day school operations. We want our parents to have questions. We also have questions, said Zapian, adding that school district and city leaders are currently working to collect parent input and find solutions. Tara Kinney, the mother of two Horseman students, is among the large group of parents who have already expressed support for the proposal. The school facility will need extra support, but I think that it, but I think that is a challenge that the district, the city, parents and the school community can problem solve, said Kinney. Real estate is a huge resource in the city, and the gym sits empty from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. This seems like a creative way to support our families who literally have nowhere else to sleep. So folks can check this article out at The Examiner. And that's, again, it's kind of, you know, folks taking it into their own hands and and doing what they can with the resources. So appreciate that that's happening. We're going to take a bit of a music break. I'm going to drink some water. And we'll be back in a little bit. Someone want to take you home.
had some request for Alabama's got me so upset Tennessee made me lose my rest And everybody knows about Mississippi gone down Alabama's got me so upset Tennessee made me lose my rest Everybody knows about Mississippi gone down Can't you see it? I know you can feel it It's all in the air I can't stand the pressure much longer Somebody say a prayer Alabama's got me so upset And Governor Wallace has made me lose my rest Everybody knows about Mississippi gone down School children sitting in jail Black cat crossed my path I think every day is gonna be my last Lord have mercy on the land of mine We all gonna get it in due time I don't belong here I don't belong there I've even stopped believing in prayer Everybody knows about Mississippi. Everybody knows. 
I've been low, I've been high, I've been sold all my life. I've got nothing left to play. I've got nothing left to say. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white. I'm in love, but I'm still sad. I found peace, but I'm not glad. On my nights and on my days, I've been trying to run away. I'm a black man in a white world. 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 I feel like I've been here before. I feel that knocking on my door. I feel like I've been here before. I feel that knocking on my door. And I've lost it. Francis and the Lights with Just For Us. Okay. Coming up, more news stories. This one comes from TechCrunch. Fed up with Facebook, activists find new ways to defend their movements. Let's learn a bit. Malkia Cyril is the author of this piece, and it came out three days ago. Malkia uh, Cyril is founder and executive director of the Center for Media Justice, CMJ, and co-founder of Media Action Grassroots Network. And... 
This is the article. In the wake of revelations that the personal information of as many as 87 million Facebook users was used by data, data analysis firm Cambridge Analytica in 2016 for political purposes, reports indicate Facebook will continue raw anonymized data to a new social data initiative via what is described as an independent, transparent, and peer-reviewed process. Will greater data sharing place the information of communities of color at greater risk? Or will making aggregated user data available data better inform our understanding of social media's impact on society? Caught between these questions are activists of color and the vulnerable communities they represent. Activists of color weren't surprised by the Cambridge Analytica revelations. This scandal is only the latest in a string of worrisome disclosures about the use of social media by third parties from foreign governments and electoral candidates to law enforcement agencies to spy on the activities of users, especially immigrant, black, and other vulnerable communities. With half of all U.S. adults already in police facial recognition databases and the 2018 midterm election season upon us, the issue of political data mining feels urgent to black activists. We are tracked by data mining companies that have contracts with law enforcement that profile and criminalize us. This works in tandem with designations like black identity extremism, a made-up term by the FBI to attack black organizers, said Janaya Khan, a Black Lives Matter activist and organizer with the national civil rights group Color of Change. As support of a handful of protesters from the activist group, the Raging Nannies, I thought they were Raging Grannies, um, who gathered outside of Facebook to gather, to demand greater data protection, Electronic Front, Frontier, excuse me, Electronic Frontier Foundation organizer, Nathan Sheard also raised concerns. Facebook has a responsibility to its users. He goes on to note that by default, their user info should be kept secure. Yet user information on Facebook remains extraordinarily vulnerable and far too available to third parties without the consent of Facebook users. Congress has joined the chorus of voices seeking answers. Zuck, the Facebook founder and CEO, uh, testified at the joint hearing before the Senate Judiciary and Senate Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committees on Tuesday, April 10th, which happened earlier this week. And uh, he'll be back on Capitol Hill the following day for another hearing before the House Energy and Commerce Committee on Wednesday, April 11th. Congress's failure to protect the data of vulnerable users has created real-world fears for immigrant rights activists working tirelessly to protect undocumented families facing a wave of deportation under 45. Co-founder and executive director of United We Dream, Cristina Jimenez, explains, our movement is led by undocumented immigrants and people of color. And under 45, we've seen our members targeted in phishing attacks online and chased by white supremacists out in the streets. These conditions have prompted some to delete Facebook, which must be done skillfully to ensure all personal data has actually been removed. Given that two-thirds of Americans get their news from platforms like Facebook, the likelihood that users will delete the social media giant is low. For others, the call to action is for Congress to pass laws that require greater data protection in order for Facebook to operate in the U.S., which can take time. Activists from movements... Uh, for black lives, immigrant rights, Muslim freedom, and others protesting to save their lives, protect their families, or defend their environment and land can't wait for data protection. These activists and the techno technologists who support them have come together to create a resource for keeping their accounts secure and to protect their critical work. 
and you can go to defendourmovements.org. That's the website they have. Activists like Southwest Organizing Project activist Roberto Roybal are already responding to the site. And there's a tweet from Roberto Roybal. I really like defendourmovements.org. I, I posted a question this morning on Wi-Fi security and got a really quick response. I think it's a great resource for community orgs. Hashtag defendourmovements. The site, which includes a help desk and crowdsourced knowledge base, was built to provide activists at, a, at the greater risk of surveillance with culturally relevant digital safety tips, tools, and support vetted by technologists that understand and are participants in social movements. Its launch is accompanied by ongoing digital security trainings nationwide. Together, these tools and trainings offer a starting place for securing social movements in an increasingly frightening political environment. After all, the Cambridge Analytica debate debacle is far from the first time corporations and government institutions have used Facebook and other social media platforms to spy on the most vulnerable in our society. Just last month, The Intercept reported that the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, otherwise known as the Gestapo, uh, has also been using Facebook to do its extreme vetting dirty work. And it's been confirmed that Russian government officials utilize multiple social media platforms to influence the 2016 election. And in that same year, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter were forced to update their platforms after providing users data to Geofedia, a social media surveillance company, which marketed its tools to police officers nationwide. Gross! Ugh. In order to monitor protesters and activists of color. The ACLU has outlined immediate steps Facebook should take in response to this latest privacy... Dis this privacy... This, excuse me. I had a lot of coffee this morning. In response to this latest privacy disclosure, including implementing better auditing procedures and enforcement of its policies for developers. But the fight to preserve our right to resist online will continue regardless. The human rights organization Witness also chimed in with a thoughtful analysis of next steps the company could take. Beyond the urgent need for digital security, what movement leaders understand is that if they don't create these tools, no one else will. Activists cannot wait for Facebook and Zuck to change. Hacker and security specialist Matt Mitchell said, all movements have those who secure the fight because they believe in it. They are the ones folks trust, the ones who sacrifice over and over again. They put time and love into the struggle. Belonging is what brings them to this work. Look, people working for justice and freedom have adversaries who work nine to five to slow things down. We're being secured 24 seven by our organizing. That's why we will win. We are the ones we've been waiting for. In a time when it is hard to tell what's real and what's not, digital security grounded in authentic relationships can make all the difference. Learn more at defendourmovements.org or mediajustice.org. So there, haha, positive news story, folks taking action and creating the world we want to live in. Last week on the show, I read an article that talked about alternatives to calling 911. And today, we're going to read some more. I imagine there will be some overlap in this as well. This comes from a different organization. So really wanting just to emphasize, if we can, as a whole, stop relying on law enforcement as this idea that supposedly they're, they're, they're here to protect and serve, yet we all know that, or many of us recognize they cause more harm than good. What can alternatives be where folks no longer decide to call 911? If people feel inclined to, what are alternatives that people can do? Because we've been trained to do this. So it's all about speaking about alternatives and finding other things that we can do as communities to communicate and to really protect ourselves and be there for one another. So this list comes from Equality for Flatbush, also known as E4F. 
and so the this says uh, equality for Flatbush E4F wants to provide community members with suggestions and tactics to use if you do not feel like calling nine one one, if you if you feel if you do feel if you do not feel like calling nine one one is a safe or appropriate option for you. Uh, also, please feel free to utilize Equality for Flatbush as a resource. E4F is part of Social Work, Cop Watch, and Violence Interrupter Networks. Please contact us at policework at equalityforflatbush.org. And the phone number is 646-820-6039. And, of course, they're based, I should say, of course. However, they are, they are based in New York, so really grateful to get suggestions from folks across the country because we do know that police are running amok everywhere. So here from Equality for Flatbush are some alternatives to calling 911. I'm going to make this print really large so I will have no difficulty reading it. And this is, I believe has also been shared on our Facebook webpage. The increase of police presence, harassment, and violence in rapidly gentrifying neighborhoods of color is widely documented. One alarming aspect of gentrification has been the increase nationally in the number of both 911 and 311 calls made by newer and or white residents living in historically low to middle class income communities of color. Get involved with your community. Okay, so here are the, here are the, here are the things that we can do. One, get involved with your community, neighborhood group, or your tenant block association. Studies have shown that strong, cohesive communities help to deter crime and gun violence. The more we get to know our neighbors, the more trust is created within a community. Within our own neighborhoods, buildings, and communities are people we can call upon to help us navigate times of crisis or need. There are countless examples of the ways people have intervened and provided support or resources for mental health, medical, domestic, interpersonal violence, and other crises to each other. Now is the perfect time to assess, identify, and help create crisis intervention resource lists for yourself and neighbors. The more self-reliant we become as a community to create solutions and resolve issues, the less likely we will be to turn to the police. Two, join a cop watch team. Cop watching is a tactic to document police interactions in our community, as well as make sure community members have access to legal and political resources. Cop watching has helped to both deter police violence and provide community members with video to use in court. If you are 18 years or older and a person of color and you want to be trained to cop watch in your neighborhood, please contact People's Justice at info at peoplesjustice.org or 212-614-5343. And this is, again, based in New York. Equality for Flatbush, E4F, is a proud member of the People's Justice for Community Control and Police Accountability's East Flatbush Cop Watch Team. Three, call on your neighbors or community leaders to intervene or mediate before a situation escalates. Many landlords, boo, tell tenants who have disputes with their neighbors to call the police on each other. There is also a common belief that the police will simply come and quote-unquote teach a lesson to a difficult family member. So often, we are just too afraid to reach out and ask for help before things get worse. It is important that we find alternatives to calling the police for family, tenant, or community disputes. Can a neighbor, tenant association, or community leader be asked to mediate instead of calling the police? Can you offer yourself as a mediator within your neighborhood, building, or community? Again, the more self-reliant we become as a community to create solutions and resolve issues, the less reliant we are on the police. Next, and this would be number four, 
Get Trained in Mental Health First Aid. Learn what you can do to support yourself, family, and community if there are signs of escalating mental health needs. Get certified and train your family and neighbors to all be mental health first aiders, knowledgeable about how to respond to mental health needs and destigmatize getting help. It's free to get trained or become a trainer. For more info, you can go to https colon forward slash forward slash on dot nyc dot gov forward slash two A-C-A-R-N. Again, that's https colon forward slash forward slash on dot nyc dot gov forward slash two A-C-A-R-N. So again, this is based in New York and I imagine here in the Bay Area there are similar ways folks can gain experience and we can find ways to support each other. So thank you to Equality for Flatbush. Thank you to Imani Henry for posting this. And for all the folks out there working to create alternatives that will be better for absolutely everybody out there in the world. So that's some good positivity for us all. Great. How about another news story? Um, We'll be getting back to the FOSTA-SESTA bill in a little bit. And first off, I was going to read another article here. Oh, these are all going to make me super depressed. Um... I don't, mm, I'm kind of, I'm clicking through the tabs. We don't have a camera here just yet that's working. And if you were to have a camera and see what I'm doing, you'd see me scowling a bit. And going through the tabs, sometimes I have more time than others, or I make more time, I should say, I make more time than others to go through the show ahead of time, plan things out a little bit more. It's usually still pretty much pieced together as I go, very spur of the moment. Sometimes there's a great segue with music and articles and interviews. Other times I kind of show up and see what we got, which is kind of what's happening today and a lot of these articles are making me super sad which doesn't mean that we're not going to read them it's just i'm going to take a breath maybe i'll read read one push through it because pretending it doesn't exist that's not going to do anyone any good uh so here we are uh here's one type of a segue i guess in the article we were reading about finding alternatives to facebook there was a mention of the gestapo aka ice boo gross putting some energy out there for ICE agents to quit your jobs, not follow orders, convince your your colleagues to also not do this. Oh, that's right. I forgot. So on the show for the past few years, I've definitely talked shit about a lot of governors. Sam Brown back from Kansas, Scott Walker in Wisconsin. There's a lot. Rick Scott in Florida. There's a lot of terrible people in positions of power. Jan Brewer from Arizona. The list goes on and on. I haven't really talked very much shit about our governor, Jerry. I shouldn't say our whatever. Do we? Anyway. Jerry Brown, uh, as far as, you know, compare, it's like the, there's a low bar, I guess. Anyway, so the governor up in Oregon, thankfully, um, said that she would not send folks, uh, the National Guard, to the border. And it's like, great. And again, I guess there's a low bar. Cool, you're doing the right thing. I guess we should applaud or, or be happy. So her name's Kate Brown, so good for Kate Brown. Our our governor Jerry Brown was like, "Yeah, sure, we'll send some, we'll send some troops to the border, National Guard troops to the fucking border." Okay, first of all, the borders don't exist. It's something that everyone's like, or some people are like, "Oh, hey, sure, you say that this is a there's a line here, this line that we're gonna make in in the earth." <sighs> okay, so it's just this. That's part one of like why this is so upsetting. Part two is uh, wh- wh- how, if you want to protect people, I don't understand this idea 
of sending folks to this imaginary border. Because right now I feel threatened by folks who are neo-Nazis, people in positions of power who support neo-Nazis and white supremacists, uh, the patriarchy, the folks who are behind the FOSTA-SESTA bill. Um, I'm afraid of many people in law enforcement, the folks who are creating private prisons, weapons manufacturers. Okay, these folks are not the people that uh, I I think uh, should be in power. So if you're going to go, I'm not, personally, I don't, I don't, it's really upsetting that again, what they're going to do is end up harming more folks who are marginalized. That's what this is about. So shame on you, Jerry Brown. I don't think he listens to the show. And if he does, maybe he's one of the 16,000 listeners we have, or one of his staff, or someone knows him. Tell him to screw his head on straight. That's just so upsetting. It's really upsetting. There's not a very high bar. Be a decent human. Try not to harm each other. Work for a more equitable society. He could have very much said no. He could have said, no, we're not going to do that. Fuck you, you fascist. He didn't say that, though. He said, oh, sure. We'll get some, we'll get some troops to the it's imaginary border. That's not going to keep anyone safe. Fucking idiot. Okay. I feel a little bit better. Oh, yeah. So speaking of the Gestapo, now I, now I won't feel better. I'm predicting the future. I will not feel better after I read this story. So the ICE are fucking pretty much acting like Gestapo agents. People are dying. People are being deported. Families are being separated. It's fucked up. It's terrible. There have been protests at the ICE headquarters here in San Francisco. Ideally, there'd be more. I'm holding myself accountable. I've only been there for a few protests there could ideally be them there every day blocking the driveways and the buildings and convincing the folks who work there to stop. It's really the people who are following orders that are causing the harm. Put that energy out there. I know energy. Some people are like, what does energy do? I'll, I'll speak it aloud. May the folks who are following orders that harm people stop. Put that energy out there that they'll wake up and be like, Hey, my job involves hurting people. Maybe I won't do that today. Maybe I'll convince my coworkers to also quit. Maybe I'll tell my supervisor that this is fucked up. Putting that energy out there, people will wake up. <sighs> so there's a crash in Delano in, in California, and there's an article in the LA Times. And so this is the play-by-play. This is a very brief analysis of what happened. Uh, so there's a husband and wife who are dropping their daughter off at school. And then the ICE agents mistook the husband for someone else. And they pursued the couple. The couple crashed their car and they, they died. And then when interviewed, the ICE agent said that they weren't pursuing. They weren't pursuing. Um, however, surveillance footage shows that they were, that they lied and they were, they were pursuing them. And then the ICE spokesman who can really go fuck themselves. I'm assuming it's a guy. I'm assuming it's a man. I don't necessarily believe in the binary. However, I'm going to assume this ICE spokesperson is a man. Maybe I'm wrong. This ICE spokesperson blamed the crash on sanctuary policies. If that doesn't make you want to throw things out the window or just fucking yell, I don't know what will. So this is the environment that we're living in. Law enforcement drives people to to their death, and then they fucking lie about it. I mean, maybe that's the story of this this country, this imaginary country that we live in, because certain people wanted to say, hey, we'll put up some borders here. We're going to ignore the 
the death and the genocide and the slavery and everything that's in the root of this country for the past few hundred years. We're going to pretend that the people in positions of power haven't fucked things up for the majority of the population. And then when people sit, call them out on it and say, listen, you're causing a lot of death. You're causing harm to people. They end up saying, oh, no, no, it's not. They want to they want to turn it back on the folks who are trying to help. That's a very abridged version from my perspective. So that's where we're at. <sighs> and it's disgusting and it's disturbing. And this is a constant pattern that we see. So then once it's acknowledged, and not even everyone's acknowledging it, I've had to stop arguing a bit online because even when you call out patterns, people don't want to listen. Or they say that you're wrong. When folks say, um, ICE, they're acting like Gestapo during World War II, people will say, oh, no, no they're not. What do you mean? Meanwhile, Holocaust survivors have spoken out saying, oh, no, they're fucking acting like Nazis. People say, oh, no, 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 they're not. They refuse to see it. They refuse to acknowledge it. Meanwhile, uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, they reported that there's going to be a neo-Nazi march in Georgia, in a town in Georgia this week. So, and I think a lot of us have recognized that there always has been this element here in this country, and maybe now it's more overt. However, people do feel more empowered. So, I guess there's that idea, folks, people have been organizing for a long time, and there's been a lot of people who have been asleep or think it doesn't affect them, so they're not going to do anything. And I do feel like also there's a lot of people who do want to help, but they don't know what to do. And I get that. I feel that way. And there's also a lot of folks who feel fucking exhausted. So I wish there were more solutions. I guess organizing is one solution, certainly. One thing is also just to change the way that we are, to share our resources and to to fight back against against these folks. And another thing for the folks, I mean, it's not even just that it's there are folks for and there are folks against. There are a lot of people I've found in the past few years who will shame us for speaking up or will try to gaslight us or say, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. That's happened to me even with people I know who will say, oh, you don't need to punch Nazis. And for a lot of us, we're saying, uh, you know, obviously there's different situations call for different measures. However, if someone feels like that's the best thing they fucking need to do to defend themselves, shut the fuck up if you're going to try to criticize them. And that's the thing is that people need to defend themselves. People have always needed to defend themselves. And if you're going to, people are dying. So <laughs> I, I mean, I'm at a, I'm at a loss for words really. <sighs> still holding on to a lot of that frustration from previous conversations I've had. It's really frustrating. And also it was Holocaust Remembrance Day yesterday and that also brought up a lot and there are articles going around saying that like I forget the specific numbers, but a portion of millennials didn't know that the Holocaust had happened or hadn't been taught 
about it. And of course, I think a lot of that goes to lack of education, lack of funding for education. Uh, so they say four in 10 millennials didn't know about the Holocaust. So I feel part of that's the lack of funding going to education. Also, there are definitely some teachers out there and folks who are not even teaching correct history. I remember reading a story years ago on this program about the textbooks in Texas that were not even talking about the truth. So it was like just a bunch of blatant lies that people were willingly, willingly giving up, that indigenous folks willingly gave up their land. That was one of the things that they were talking about in some of these textbooks. So there's not only like a lack of education, there's also the folks who go into education and speak lies and don't even speak the truth. So then again, this country, as I was saying, hasn't looked at itself in the mirror. So that's where we're at. And it's depressing. And it's also, that's where we're heading. We're heading in this like fascistic, extremely fascistic territory. So there's a lot of us who are, myself, who are very alarmist. Like, hey, I know folks who need to get, who want to get out, who say they need to get out. I feel that a lot of the time. And... Other people don't quite recognize that this is something that folks have lived through before. And we're in the middle of it and we need to stop it any way we can. And also it's have to hold oneself accountable too, or instead of waiting for someone else to save us. And that's the thing. I don't have a lot of faith in elected officials. I would love to be surprised. I would love to be wrong. That could maybe be another like title of the show. I would love to be wrong. I would love for there not to be fascistic elements in the government and law enforcement. I would love to just wake up one day and be like, Oh wait, I was just really paranoid. I was wrong about it. That would be great if I could feel safe, if my loved ones and folks could feel safe. But I know that's, that's not true because people are under attack. So, and I don't think we can depend on elected officials to protect us or save us because we wouldn't be in this position if they were able to do that. So it's up to the people to kind of create the world that we want to live in. Oh, I got depressed again. How does this happen? Every every Friday between noon and two, just lead myself into this depressive state. However, uh, I'd rather be depressed and aware of what's happening than bliss and joy, ignorance, and because that's that would be really frustrating, I think, for a lot of people. Also, I wouldn't be me. Okay, we're going to go back to the... Uh, FOSTA SESTA bill and talk more about this. Um, again, folks, please do call in 415-550-0511. Love to hear some more information about this. And we're going to read some articles here just to help educate, educate myself, educate listeners, et cetera, et cetera. This comes from uh, PS Mag, Pacific Standard Mag. Uh, in the fight for free speech, sex workers have been left behind. With SESTA, Congress gets it backwards. Speaking isn't dangerous for sex workers. Censorship is. This was written by Noah Berlatsky, and it came out on April 10th. Free speech conversations in the media over the last few years have centered not on sexual content, but on the dangers of supposed left intolerance of right-wing views, especially on campus. New York Times op-ed columnists have written essay after essay chastising college students for protesting conservative speakers. Before and after the August of 2017 fascist march in Charlottesville, Virginia, during which a marcher killed a counter-protester, we even saw an extended debate about whether the ACLU and other supporters of free expression should champion free speech for fascists. In contrast, another long-time battlefield for free speech has been largely abandoned. More and more, the speech of adult content providers and sex workers is being quietly but forcefully policed. 
Adult content used to be the free speech issue. Now it's fucking Nazis. Nix66, a cam sex worker and dom, tells me by email, I have no idea why Nazis are defensible, and I'm not. As free speech debates and major media outlets have largely centered on the defense of right-wing speech, other free speech causes have faded into the background. As Nix observes, these causes include the free speech defense of adult content. While pundits have been hotly debating whether it's okay to criticize New York Times columnists, Congress has voted to severely restrict the presence and expression of sex workers online. The Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, which is moving toward final passage, and I believe was recently signed, makes websites liable for hosting content deemed to contribute to sex trafficking, since trafficking, in quotes, is often defined in a way that includes consensual sex work, the bill will effectively force sex workers offline, making it harder for them to screen clients and putting them at greater, list, get greater risk for abuse and violence. SESA didn't come out of nowhere. Without much mainstream attention, online platforms have long been working to silence sex workers. Phone sex and cam sex worker Dulcinea, for example, tells me she'd been banned at various times by Instagram, Twitter, and OkCupid. She's also been shadow banned on Twitter, which means that her name and tweets don't show up in search results. These platforms rarely explain why they're banning users, which makes the censorship difficult to document or protest. I'm careful to censor my photos on Instagram and never post anything too explicit, and yet I am repeatedly suspended and have to start all over again, Dulcinea tells me. Even more insidious is the way in which payment platforms often refuse to work with sex workers, according to Liara Rue, a sex worker, organizer, and independent porn producer. Most payment processors, notably PayPal, Stripe, Square, etc., do not allow sex work or adult content of any sort. Payment processors that do allow sex work have higher fees, do not accept as many types of cards, and require much more work to implement, Rue tells me. I've set up non-adult businesses before, and it's amazing how complicated launching your own site-based porn business is if you intend on maintaining control over the whole thing. Patreon, which has grown in part by supporting adult content, has also recently cracked down, leaving sex workers scrambling to make ends meet or find other platforms. Clearly, most pundits see censoring political speech as more noteworthy and more dangerous than censoring adult content. But the truth is that political speech and the rights of sex workers are often inseparable. Rue points out that when sex workers are shadow banned on Twitter, they can't use hashtags to advocate for changing laws or to talk about sexism in tech or to catalog sex abuse in their industry. Silencing sex workers and pushing them offline doesn't mean fewer adult images online. It also doesn't just mean fewer adult images online. It also means a marginalized group can't use online resources to support each other or to demand rights and respect. A striking case in point is Holly, a sex worker and former escort agency manager. Holly lives in Sydney, Australia, where sex work is legal. She created a YouTube channel to talk to the general population to show that sex workers are normal people. I also wanted to give other sex workers information about working safely, how to get back into to civvy, civilian work, how to do resumes. It was never sexualized, she says. I would talk about normal, boring stuff as well as non-sex work related stuff. My pets, my garden, things that would make me relatable to the normies. Holly also talks about her frustration with the feminist movement, which she says often fails to support sex workers. Holly's channel includes no sexual content. She designed it as a political tool to advocate for sex workers and as a way to disseminate helpful information among a marginalized population. It ran for three years. 
Then one day, I get an email saying that one of my videos, so you want to be a private escort, has been flagged, she says. YouTube banned the video, claiming that it promoted violent or dangerous acts. In fact, the video, again posted by a legal sex worker, was providing information so sex workers could keep themselves safe. Imagine if YouTube chose to censor videos showing people how to fasten seatbelts on the grounds that driving a car is dangerous. The U.S. government, along with various important online platforms, have decided that it's dangerous to let sex workers speak or organize publicly. But the truth is, speaking isn't dangerous for sex workers. Censorship is. When sex workers can't use online resources to screen clients and share information, they are forced onto the street, where they are assaulted and murdered with terrifying frequency. A recent study found that overall homicide rates for women dropped by 17% when sex workers got access to online advertising like Craigslist erotic services. If SESTA succeeds in banning sex workers from the internet, so many sex workers will be killed that we'll probably see a significant rise in the overall female murder rate. The censorship of sex workers demonstrates two failures in our current discussion of free speech. First, free speech is often framed as an issue of protecting controversial subject matter. That is, pundits tend to worry that certain opinions or certain ideas will be silenced. But sex workers aren't silenced for saying controversial things. Holly's YouTube channel deliberately avoided sexual content, and Dulcinea conscientiously stayed within Instagram's terms of service. These women were silenced not because of what they said, but rather because of who they were. The speech of marginalized people is often seen as innately dangerous or worthless, regardless of the content of that speech. If you're the right sort of person, you can say outrageous things and face few consequences. If you're the wrong kind of person, like a sex worker, you can talk about your pets and lose your YouTube channel. The second failure is the idea that defending free speech for controversial speakers like fascists automatically helps marginalized people. Defending Nazis is supposed to protect disadvantaged people because if the speech of Nazis isn't defended, then supposedly the rights of marginalized people will be the next to go. But the truth is that defending conservative speech hasn't helped sex workers at all. If anything, the mania over protecting the free speech of conservative speakers has created a climate in which, despite valiant efforts by some sex workers and allies, the harms caused by SESTA don't even register as a problem related to free speech. If you want to protect the free speech of marginalized people, you need to focus and fight for the free speech of marginalized people, not the people working to marginalize them. Nix has been looking for a venue online to do nude, sexual, political performance art for the past year, but she hasn't found any platform that will accommodate her. I don't feel I can truly use my body politically at all, and I absolutely should be able to. It's my body, she says. Congress, Twitter, Patreon, YouTube, and payment processors have decided that sex workers' bodies should be invisible, and that sex workers' voices should fall silent. Free speech may protect the worst opinions— but we seem to be reluctant to let it protect those who need it most. Wow. Wow, that says it all right there. So again, you can find this article at psmag.com and it was written by Noah Berlatsky. And this article came out uh, earlier this week uh, on April 10th. And again, the title is, In the Fight for Free Speech, Sex Workers Have Been Left Behind. Okay, we are going to take a music break and we'll be back in a bit.
again It's time to start all over Make a new beginning It's too much pain Too much suffering Let's resolve to start all over
indeed we need to start all over thank you tracy chapman for that that was new beginning before that tom petty with a live version of free falling and before that i know we played a song before that um i don't recall anyway well Oh, Stone Roses. I want to be adored. There we go. My memory is still there. It's still working. We've got another 20 minutes or so of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. If you like the show, please do tell a friend. You can support us. I know we just mentioned in the previous article that Patreon's doing some bad things. Ugh, fuck. I don't know how to exist in this world without somehow being part of the problem. That's capitalism for you. If you do, in the meantime, support the show. Um, we do take donations. Finally, in the last couple of months, we we're able to uh, get enough donations to support the costs of renting the space for the show. And right now we're looking to get a little bit anything above that. So that would be awesome if you're able to donate in any way, even a dollar a month would be great. We're at patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. Or if you want to contact me directly, happy to take any donations. We are here at Mutiny Radio. If you yourself are interested in doing a show here, there are a lot of slots available. All you do is you get trained, you pay a monthly rental fees, and then you have two hours a week to do whatever you want here. There's music, there's comedy, there's news, uh, there's a kids program. There's a lot of different things that can happen here. We also have the space that's available to do a rental show. So on Saturday nights, you can rent the space. Uh, you pay you pay to rent the space. You get to keep the door, whatever you make. You get a live broadcast. It's You get to record the MP3. There's a lot of a lot of good things here. So check out mutinyradio.fm and please contact Pam if you're interested in having a show here. Coming up next is Women's Magazine with Global Val, followed by the Common Thread Collective. And then there's comedy here tonight, as every there is every Friday night, starting at 6. And then there's, I believe, the Comedy Clubhouse at 8. And there are a lot of great shows here every day of the week. So please do listen in. Go to the website. You can just click any show. And there's the archive as well. We also have the archive here of the weekly review going back to 2015. Eventually we'll get the shows back to 2013 up on there at some point. That's one of the things I'm putting into the future as well as creating a website where folks can, where I have a description of the shows and the transcripts and information about some of the guests we've had on the show. And that's in the future making it happen. We'll see. We'll put it out in the future that that will be something that will happen. That would be awesome. So thank you so much for listening in. And again, if you'd like to donate, check out patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. Anything from a dollar a month and above would be greatly appreciated here. Coming up next. Oy. Well, okay. Not necessarily. Ugh. It's a uh, kind of like, okay, people again, making their voices heard and, and 
taking action. So this comes from Haaretz, which is a, the, uh, the, the uh, it's, I guess it's an Israeli newspaper. And it's talking about folks in New York who were Jewish folks who were speaking out against the recent killings that happened on the Gaza border. Uh, it's really fucking sickening. I, I can't deal with anyone in this militarization. It's fucking disgusting. There's also was a journalist who was killed. It's fucking sick. So uh, seven Jewish activists arrested at Schumer's New York office after calling on him to condemn the Gaza deaths. And this came out on April 9th, written by Tali Krupkin. Uh, Your silence speaks volumes, Chuck. Members of If Not Now chant demanding that Jewish Democratic senators speak out after 30 Palestinians die during two weekend marches along the Gaza border. The article features a photo of folks with matching shirts and a sign that says, How many more, Chuck? New York. Seven members of the Jewish anti-occupation group, if not now, were arrested outside the Midtown offices of Chuck Schumer on Monday after demanding that the Democratic senators condemn recent Israeli violence against Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. Around 30 activists arrived at Senator Schumer's office early Monday morning, where they called on him to denounce the deaths of 30 Palestinians after two weekends of protests near the border fence with Israel. The activists read out the names of the deceased Palestinians and recited the Kaddish, which is the Jewish morning prayer for them. They then sat on the ground, held hands, and blocked the entrance to the building while chanting, singing in Hebrew, and praying. And the photo, the good old fucking police arresting, arresting the activists. That's what police do. They arrest activists. And there's a tweet from If Not Now, which you can follow at ifnotnow.org is their Twitter handle. Uh, It's a shame that Senator Schumer refused to do the bare minimum and condemn violence against Palestinian protesters in Gaza. Hashtag how many more have to die before he speaks out. Hashtag enough occupation. As the activists were arrested by the police, fellow protesters circled the police vehicle and sang songs of encouragement, if not now as a movement of young American Jews. And I would also say there's also some older American Jews, if I'm not mistaken, who are also part of that movement, the movement, uh, who seek to end support for the occupation among American Jews. The group explained it has singled out the Senate, major- Senate minority leader because of his prominence in the American Jewish community. We are if not now, and we call on Chuck Schumer to condemn violence against Palestinian protesters. How many more Chuck, the activists chanted, adding Senator Schumer, your silence speaks volumes. Several activists told Haaretz they have been disappointed by the lack of response from mainstream U.S. Jewish, organi- US Jewish organizations and community leaders since the violence began in Gaza on March 30th, when some 30,000 Palestinians attended the first of what is currently planned as a weekly Great March of Return. And they have video footage as well. And there's also a petition that folks can sign that If Not Now has posted. Uh, For the past two weeks, Israel has shot and killed 30 Palestinians who have been demanding freedom and dignity. And we heard nothing from the American Jewish establishment, said Eliana Fishman, one of the protesters who was later arrested. Senator Schumer bills himself as a progressive, that's funny, and a Jewish leader, so it should be a no-brainer for him to condemn disproportionate use of violence by the officers against peaceful protesters, added another activist, Mariah Kaplan. I think he is out of step with American Jews if he doesn't say anything. Another protester, Molly Schulman, said, we as Jews have deep-seated trauma and there is this desire to protect it and feel safe. If not now, is saying that, yes, that fear and trauma is real, but we need to be accountable for what is being done in our name, she added. The IDF, Israel Defense Forces, has announced that we'll ugh, launch an... Okay. 
It will launch an inquiry into the conduct of its soldiers in the incidents where several of the protesters were killed by sniper fire and some video footage showing that some Palestinians were shot despite having their backs to the border fence. The U.S. has twice prevented the U.N. Security Council from releasing a statement backing the right of Palestinians to, quote-unquote, demonstrate peacefully. Well, I commend these activists for going out there and for folks speaking up. As a someone who's of Jewish descent, I also want to say I am, in, am just appalled by the actions of the, the IDF and the military forces for killing people. It's as simple as that. I, of course, do not have as much political power as Chuck Schumer, Though, I do want to just take this moment to make that statement and yeah, the the whole that's I running out of running out of words to say. Just frustration, disgust, disappointment. We need to back away from militarization everywhere. Okay. So it's 1.34. We've got maybe about 20 more minutes left on the program, a little less than that. And I'm going to go read through some headlines here. One is from Forbes. Uh, Where is the immigration crisis? U.S. Border Patrol reports illegal border crossings at record low. That was written by Stuart Anderson. And that came out, this was on from December of 2017, not that long ago. However, we can see why it's even more ridiculous that they're adding secure, quote unquote, security to their imaginary border. Another article from The Root, Louisiana Sheriff's Association says 1,300 people have been held in jail for four years without trial. That was written by Brianna Edwards. That came out on Wednesday. Again, we're a prison abolitionist show here at the Weekly Review, and we need to create a world without prisons. Next, somewhat of a positive story here uh, from it's ABC. I know, what's up with the mainstream news sources today, Roman? I don't know. This is what happens. However, it's they're reporting on something positive. New York City Girl Scout troop comprised of homeless members holds first cookie sale. That's pretty righteous. And um, so Girl Scout Troop 6000, the city's first homeless shelter-based troop, are selling cookies for the first time and have set a goal of selling 6,000 boxes. This came out on April 11th. So folks who are in New York, please do support them. The girls who all live in homeless shelters have set up an exclusive cookie stand inside Kellogg's NYC, a cereal cereal cafe. I've been out of New York too long. Uh, A cereal cafe located on East 17th Street in Union Square. The biggest impact that we see, and when you talk to the girls, you'll hear them say is that they belong to something. They have a sisterhood within the other Girl Scouts, said Meredith Mascara of the Girl Scouts of Greater New York. They talk to other girls who may be in their same situation, who feel alone, and they feel they have a stronger sense of community and belonging overall. Uh, Members, okay, okay. Members of the Girl Scout Troop 6000 will be in front of Kellogg's NYC selling cookies through Friday from 4 to 6 p.m., so I believe in New York right now, if you're listening, it's 4.36 p.m. So you can still check them out. If you're by Union Square, please do support these Girl Scouts. And in this Kellogg's NYC Cereal Cafe at East 17th Street in Union Square. Yay. Uh, some positive news. Missouri House to consider impeaching Governor Eric Greitens. This is from April 11th on NPR, written by Sasha Ingber. A committee of Missouri State 
House is expanding its investigation into Republican Governor Eric Greitens, who admitted to having an extramarital affair with his hairstylist, but denied he abused her. The panel will make recommendations about whether to pursue impeachment. All right. Gross. What a fucking sounds like a total turd here. <laughs> That's my professional opinion. One, I, I know one should probably use more uh, grown up language, but this guy, yeah, let's get him out. Let's, I'm sure there's also plenty of other reasons to get this governor out. Something somewhat positive from the motherboard.vice.com. A blockchain startup is calling for sex workers to out congressmen, clients who supported FOSTA. Spank chain is offering $25,000 for information on politicians who use sexual services while supporting the anti-trafficking bill. This was written by Samantha Cole. Came out on April 9th. And Ethereum startup is offering $25,000 for the first 10 sex workers who come forward with information about clients who are also members of Congress who voted to pass the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, which is FOSTA. The campaign is run by SpankChain, which had its ICO in October and is one of several recent startups for sex on the blockchain. The company is attempting to break into the open, often expensive, discriminatory world of adult industry payment processing Using the blockchain, 97 senators voted to pass FOSTA-SESTA in March. It will become law if the president signs it this week, which he did sign. FOSTA-SESTA is a mashup bill that incorporates parts of the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, SESTA, and was framed by supporters as an anti-sex trafficking measure. Open internet activists and sex workers warned it would endanger people more instead of helping actual victims of trafficking by making websites more liable for what their users do and say on their platforms. In less than a month since its, since its passage, there have already been repercussions on the industry and beyond, including the shutdown of Craigslist personals and stricter enforcement of Google of Google Drive's policies on sexual content. Janice Griffith, co-founder of SpankChain and an adult performer, told me in an email that the company hasn't yet decided that what it will do with the information it gathers from this campaign whether the information is published will in- involve a mutual decision between Spank Chain and the person coming forward, she said. We hopefully plan to utilize information gathered for leverage against elected officials whose political motives are hypocritical and selfish, pushing legislation that endangers instead of protecting outlawing and putting the same people they purchase services and time from at risk. All right. So you can check out this article. There's more to the article. My, I'm getting a little bit tired of reading. Check that out at motherboard.vice.com. What else? There's another post here um, about how back page closing is a big deal. I believe we've shared that on the Weekly Review webpage. Ugh. From East Bay Express, uh, Alameda manager wiretapped counselors. Oof. Sources say... Jill Kaimach, Kaimach, illegally recorded council members Jim Odell and Malia Velia without their consent. That was written by Stephen Tavares. And that came out on yesterday, April 12th. Next up, it's a positive story. It's too bad I'm, I'm getting tired. Permacultural Garden produces 7,000 pounds of organic food per year on a tenth of an acre. This is a cool story. It came out in December of 2017. Looks pretty righteous, though. It's about growing your own food. Pretty awesome. Good positive story. Negative story The from The Guardian here. U.S. officials say Yasmin Abdel Magid deported for not having correct visa. Again, this goes back to the fucking idea of these ridiculous borders. 
and who says who belongs where, and it causes a lot of harm. Author and TV personality blocked from entering America, where she was due to speak at an event in New York. Australian author and TV personality Yasmin Abdel-Magid has been deported from the U.S. because she didn't hold the right visa, U.S. authorities have said, but noted she was welcome to apply to return to the country. Fucking, uh, I hate that. I hate when they're like, oh, we're going to like treat you like shit and then, you know, toss you something nice. Like, oh, but, well, like, why not just let her in? Abdel-Magid was due to speak at the Penn World Voices Festival in New York, but she was denied entry to the country at Minneapolis Airport. She was put on a plane bound for Amsterdam. A spokesperson from the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, CBP, I w- how about we start, uh, you know, just a chant, CBD, not CBP. I don't know. Uh, cannabinoids, I think, hurt fewer people than the Customs and Border Patrol. That's my idea. All right. Said Abdel Magid was at all international travelers are, as all international travelers are, assessed for entry into the country. During the inspection, CBP officers determined this individual did not possess the appropriate visa to receive monetary compensation for the speaking engagements uh, she had planned during her visit to the U.S. As such, she was deemed inadmissible to enter the United States for her visit, but was allowed to withdraw her application for admission. God, fucking assholes. The traveler is eligible to reapply for visa for future visits. Abdel Magid live tweeted her brief stay on U.S. soil. She was advertising on Twitter her appearance at the New York Festival, speaking on a panel titled The M Word, No Country for Young Muslim Women. But her first tweet offered the caveat, If they let me in, I'm currently at the border. If they will let me in, I'm currently at the border, and they've said I'm being deported. This should be fun. What are my rights? And she says, roughly three hours since touchdown in Minneapolis, I'm on a plane back. Subhana, subhanalia. Well, I guess that tightening of immigration laws business is working. Despite my Australian passport, we're taking off now. What a time. Oh, and they still have my passport. Apparently, I can't be trusted with it until I'm in a foreign country because, as Officer Blee said, planes get turned away back. Pain, planes, excuse me. Planes get turned away back way too often and then dot, dot, dot. Abdel Magid then tweeted, they've taken my phone, canceled my visa, and are deporting me. We'll follow up on messages once I understand what's going on. And then if they let me in, I'm currently at the border. And they say I'm being deported. Okay, then moving along. Abdel Magid wrote that within a few minutes of looking at her case, the border security officer told her she was being sent back. Sudanese-born Abdel Magid is a mechanical engineer and rose to prominence as the founder of the Youth Without Borders organization. She was named the 2007 Young Australian Muslim of the Year. She has been a prominent advocate for Muslim women, but attracted controversy in Australia over an Anzac Day tweet juxtaposing attitudes towards the Anzac legend with Australian and international policies towards refugees. She's based in London. The Guardian has attempted to speak directly with Abdul Majid. Chief Executive of Pan America, Suzanne Nassel, says she was dismayed by Abdel Magid's sudden deportation. The very purpose of the Pan World Voices Festival, founded after 9-11 to sustain the connectedness between the U.S. and the water world, is in jeopardy at a time when efforts, to, at, when efforts at visa bans and tightened immigration rich, restrictions threaten to choke off vital channels of dialogue that are protected under the First Amendment right to receive and impart information through in-person cultural exchange. Nassau said Abdel Magid was traveling on her Australian passport. We understand that Yasmin was traveling on the type of visa 
that she had used in the past for similar trips without issue. We call on Customs and Border Patrol to admit her to the U.S. so that she can take her rightful place in the urgent international conversation to take place at the festival next week. A spokeswoman for the Department of Foreign Officials and Trade said it was aware an Australian citizen had been refused entry to the U.S. Like Australia, the United States administers a strict entry regime. The decision on who can enter the United States is a matter solely for the U.S. government. Ugh. Australia Citizenship and Multicultural Affairs Minister Alan Tudge said, similarly, U.S. visas were a decision for the American government. I just don't know the details underpinning this and whether or not it was that she had a tourist visa, that perhaps there was evidence she was planning to do other things other than being a tourist here. Ugh. So... I think I kind of made my point during this whole show. We're in fucking fascistic territory here. These fucking imaginary borders and people following ridiculous orders. How do we undo that? That'll be my putting that energy out into the universe for the next week. Let's stop following orders, people. It's 146. I'm about out of breath. I am coffee. My caffeine level's high. My voice is a bit going. We'll be back next week on April 20th. Okay, I'll end on a positive note here. So we all know that there were folks and teachers in West Virginia and teachers in Oklahoma who were who were striking for better wages. And that also happened in Arizona. And it looks like the Arizona governor, as of yesterday, has agreed to a 20% raise for protesting teachers. And this is on NPR. And so there's a pay raise for teachers that is great. Uh, what he gave us, it's a proposal, not legislation. So we're not sure where the money's coming from, et cetera, et cetera. However, at least it's a step in the right direction. And I'm not going to continue finishing reading the story because there might be some bad news in there. So on the positive note, sending lots of solidarity out to the folks out there who are striking solidarity, solidarity out there to sex workers, solidarity out there to everyone who is doing their best to survive in this world. And thank you so much for listening in. And you can listen every Friday, noon to 2 p.m. This is Roman, Mutiny Radio. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. (laughs) And we'll be back next week.
tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. Test, 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 test. Subliminal SF yeah. brings you visual more, more, and auditory more, more. mind talking, control talking, talking. for the best graphic design, physical merchandise, Friday, and live Friday, music Friday, promotion. Friday. Go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and Little design Mike. for Little every Mike, need. Mike, Mike, so go Mike. now to www.subliminalsf.com. And experience Good. what this More. wonderful talking, local talking, talking, talking. Better? Good. Number three? Or whatever number it is? Mike number one. <laughs> Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and Did regard you do as well. My, as the first one again? There. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins mm-hmm. and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday. Mike number at 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, three. Mike number three. Talking, talking, talking. Pamtastic's yeah. books the best of San Francisco and beyond I underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the you mission district. You can laugh off your touchy $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I used to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to me in your radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. <laughs> like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> well, hello, boys and girls. You know what a password is. 
That's a secret word that soldiers would use to get past the sentry and up to the front. Well, here's a password that gets you up to the front in all the right places. It's cannabis energy. It seems the faster you go, the more cannabis energy you need. So if you want to win, you have to have lots of cannabis energy. And the swellest way I know to get it is just by using Green Army Skincare. Boy, they're just crammed full of cannabis energy. There are more cannabis energy units in one lip balm tube than you use circling the base 10 times or when you ride your bike four miles across the city. And it's fast acting. Why, no sooner that you apply some balm to your mouth or pain areas, you practically feel the new strength in your muscles. And what's more, Green Army Skincare is a good, wholesome product. They're made with body nourishing cannabis and other natural ingredients. So go out there today and pick up some Green Army skincare products from your local cannabis procurement center. Join thegreenarmy.com. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to invite you down to Bender's Barn Grill in the heart of the Mission District in San Francisco at 806 South Van Ness. Uh, We've got great food by our kitchen counter offer, burgers, tater tots, tachos, corn dogs, all sorts of good stuff like that. They're open from opening until 11 p.m. most days of the week, except Saturday. Every Saturday night, we've got live rock and roll, some of the best local bands in San Francisco, and touring acts as well. Come on down, 10 p.m., rock and roll, only night of the week. We have a $5 cover charge, always 5 bucks for live rock and roll. We're open from 4 p.m. until 2 a.m., Monday through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 2 to 2. Come on down, have some drinks with us. We've got Whiskey Wednesday, Tequila Tuesday, and we've always got the Steve McQueen special. Shot of bullet bourbon and a can of California lager for 8 bucks. Come down and enjoy our patio. It's open in the afternoon, not really in the evening, but a lot of good folks hanging out back there. Come on down, give us a shout. Drop by the bar, make some friends. Thanks, folks. Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District, San Francisco, California. With a happy hour every Monday through Friday until 7 p.m. Don't miss it. Go to Bender's Bar. Big supporter of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2018. Oh, yeah. It goes down. Come smoke with your boy. Grinder. Spark is San Francisco's premier cannabis dispensary with a focus on serving and educating patients for seven years. Spark is dedicated to creating the best in-store experience with its extensive menu, friendly staff, and one of the few cannabis vape lounges in San Francisco. Spark welcomes you to visit its two great locations as a medical patient or for recreational adult use in 2018. Spark is located at 1256 Mission Street between 8th and 9th and at 473 Haight Street at Fillmore. Both locations are open until 10 p.m. every night. Spark staff looks forward to serving you. Rainbow Grocery, 